As we spend some time in the Word of the Lord this morning, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or devices to Mark chapter 4. In our sermon series entitled, Jesus Revealed, we have arrived in Mark chapter 4 as we are looking at who Jesus is and what he teaches us in the Gospel of Mark. And today, Jesus is going to teach us through a parable. What is a parable? If we're going to learn through a parable today, probably be helpful for us to understand what a parable is. A parable is a, a story or a word picture that's meant to communicate a particular principle. A story or a word picture meant to communicate a particular principle to people. And Jesus communicates through a lot of parables in the Gospels. If you've ever read the Gospels, there are a lot of times that Jesus is using these stories and word pictures in order to communicate truth to people. And, I don't know about you, but I don't always get them the first time I read them. Sometimes Jesus' parables can be a little bit confusing. As a matter of fact, the Greek word translated parable can also be translated riddle. It's challenging. You have to work at it in order to figure it out. Why in the world would Jesus communicate in these parables? When I thought about that this week, a couple of things came to my head. The first, oops, there we go. The first is this. Story, word pictures often are more memorable for us. You ask anyone who teaches, it's their stories and their metaphors that hang with people the longest. A few weeks ago, I was talking to an old friend, and he brought up a story I told in a sermon 21 years ago. What are the chances he remembers any of the propositional statements I made that day? No. Right? But the stories and the word pictures, they hang with us, and perhaps that's part of the reason Jesus taught in parables. A second reason, and maybe a more important reason, is truth sticks better when we work for it. When my kids uh, were in my house, they would come to me sometimes with their math homework or their algebra homework. And if I was in a real hurry, I'd take the problem they were working on and I'd say, you do this, you do this, you do this. Okay, here, go. And what would happen? Three minutes later, they would come back to me with the next problem. I'm sorry, how do you do this? I, I showed them, but they didn't work for the knowledge in any way. Other times, when I was doing a better job of parenting, I would sit with them and I would help them walk through the problem and solve it themselves. And most of the time, then, they would get the principle and be able to apply it throughout the rest of the homework because they'd worked for it themselves. Jesus teaches in these parables, in these riddles, because you've got to work to understand them. And having worked through it, it sticks deeper and it sticks better with you. I, I always tell people who come to core discipleship, the homework is more important than my teaching. In my teaching, I'm just telling you truth. But in the homework, you're discovering it and working for it, and it sticks with you in a far deeper way than anything that I will say. So, so I think these are a couple of reasons that Jesus may have taught in parables so much in his ministry. But in today's passage, Jesus gives us a reason he teaches in parables, and it's not this. He gives us an entirely different reason in the middle of our passage today, in verses 9 through 12, that he teaches in parables. After telling a parable, he tells people, okay, here's, here's the deal. Here's why I teach in parables. He said to this crowd of thousands upon thousands, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Anyone, this is the truth. Hear it and understand it. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. 
And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, and here he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus here says, I speak in parables, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6 for the reason why. As we turn back to Isaiah chapter 6, what we discover is Isaiah was given a message by God. It was a message of judgment for Israel. And when he goes back and proclaims that message that God gave him, there's going to be a faithful remnant described in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 13 who are going to hear that message of judgment and they're going to say, that's from God, we need to respond. They're going to have faith that that is from God and respond. But there's going to be a vast majority of Israel. They're going to hear that message and they're not going to believe it's from God and they're not going to pay attention to it. And God says about Isaiah's message, it works in order to separate those with faith in God from those with hard hearts. That faith-filled remnant from that hard-hearted majority. And Jesus here quotes Isaiah chapter 6 because his parables are operating in exactly the same way. It's a different message than the one given to Isaiah. But just like with Isaiah's teaching, Jesus is teaching in parables in order to separate out a faith-filled remnant from a majority of people who are hard-hearted and reject him. Those who have faith and will be forgiven from those who don't have faith and will not be forgiven. Now, how are, how are Jesus' parables serving as a separator between those who have faith and those who have hard hearts? Is it because those who have faith receive some sort of miraculous cognition from the Holy Spirit so that they understand all parables the first time they hear them? And those who don't have faith, they don't get that miraculous cognition. Right? Open eyes, open ears. I get it. Nope, that's not what happens here, is it? What's the difference between those who have faith and who ultimately come to understand the parable and those who don't have faith and don't? The difference isn't in some sort of magical cognition that they receive in order to understand parables. The difference is those who are disciples have faith in Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, and so they go and pursue him. And they have the parable to explain to them because they say, wait a minute, if he's God, there's nothing more important than understanding his words. And then there is another group of people over here who are hard-hearted. They don't believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and so they don't pursue Jesus. They don't pursue the meaning of what he has to say because who cares if he's not the son of God? The way that Jesus' parables are separating those with faith, right? I'll click to that, right? Uh, there we go. Those with faith from those who pursue Jesus is by ultimately separating the crowds so that those with faith pursue him and the meaning. Those without faith don't care what he has to say. Remember, Jesus is teaching all sorts of people here. There are tens of thousands of people who have come in order to hear Jesus. You remember uh, last week we saw that he drew an audience of thousands and thousands from a hundred mile radius here. 
from Idiomia in the south to Tyre and Sidon. Sidon's far enough north it doesn't even fit on the map. They've all come to the Sea of Galilee in order to hear from Jesus and to get healing from Jesus. And they are approaching Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some of them want to kill him. Some accuse him of being in league with Satan. Some of the thousands who've gathered around Jesus just want a show and some healing. You remember what Kenny talked about last week? That there was a whole group of people who just wanted healing and they wanted it so bad they were willing to trample on the king in order to get the benefits of the kingdom. They were willing to trample the king. That Jesus had to get into a boat so that he wasn't crushed because what they wanted were the benefits of the kingdom. They just wanted to show and some healing. And some had faith and gave their entire lives to following after Jesus. And Jesus speaks in parables in order to make it clear who it is that has faith in him and will pursue him. And those parables divide people. Those who have faith pursue Jesus and pursue the meaning of the parables. Those who have hard hearts and don't really care what they mean because they don't believe he's the Son of God. The same thing is true today. It is a major marker of people who follow after Jesus that they pursue Jesus and care deeply about his word and what he means. They have a hunger for the word of God. It is their food. And those with hard hearts, they don't believe Jesus is the son of God anyway, and so they don't really care what he has to say. They don't really care what God's word has to say. What is this parable that Jesus speaks here? Well, it is about a farmer who is walking through the middle of his land on a path or a road. And he is sprinkling seed into all kinds of different soils. Have you heard this one? And as he's walking along, he's walking along that path or that road because every farmer put a solid path or road through their land. Because when people travel through your land, you really don't want their animals, their carts all over your crops. And so he's walking down that pathway that he's put through his land, and as he's sowing seed, some of it fell along the path. It couldn't penetrate that hard, packed-in soil, and so it stays there, and people walk on it, and the birds come and eat it. He says some of the seed found its way into rocky ground. Right, The Greek word here used for rocky soil refers to a thin layer of soil on top of a limestone base. And so in that soil... It immediately sprouts, but it can't get any roots down. And so in dehydration, it shrivels up and dies. Then some of the seed falls on a third kind of soil, the soil of thorns. Uh, one would assume that the thorns were very small when the seed was scattered, or else why would you throw a bunch of seeds into the thorns? But as that seed grows up, those thick Palestinian thorns choke all of the life out of it, and that bears no fruit. And then there is a final soil. The seed sown in the final soil, it's good soil, and it produces fruit up to a hundred times what was sown. Now, I want you to just pause for a second. Many of you have heard this parable many times, and you know Jesus' explanation. But if you didn't, would you just get it? Would you just, without any explanation, would you just get what the rocky soil stands for or what the thorns stand for? 
No, me either. Jesus' explanation is necessary, and those with faith pursue Jesus and want to know what he means and what he has to say. Those with hard hearts don't. And so Jesus unpacks this parable for us. He says, the sower sows the word. Jesus is the sower. He sows the word of the gospel, that salvation is possible through him for those who believe and repent. But we are also the sowers of the word because Jesus calls every follower from the 12 who are with him then right down to us to be people who sow the message of Jesus around us, who sow the message of the kingdom. And as that seed is sown, it falls into different kinds of soil. It falls along the path. And Jesus says, those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You notice that there is someone who is active in keeping the seed from, from penetrating the soil. Someone who's active in keeping the seed from bearing fruit. And that's Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age, a reference to Satan and his control over the world systems, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I've got a friend who's a little younger than I am. And as he and I are talking, he's so happy that I have Jesus in my life. He's so thankful that I've found something that's meaningful to me. He has no interest in Jesus whatsoever. He's making good amounts of money, and he's excited about providing a better life for his children financially, and he's into trying to find all of the comforts that the world might offer, but he's got really no interest in Jesus whatsoever. Right? The God of this world has blinded his mind and his heart to his need for Jesus Christ. I met with a young man at Devani's, and the young man was talking about the mess that he had made of his life and the sin that he was involved in. And as we talked, I talked about a Savior, and he said, I need a Savior. And we talked about Jesus, and he was excited about Jesus as Savior. And eventually he reached a place where he said, well, I've heard some Christians say that Jesus is the only way a person can be forgiven and have relationship with God. And as I explained that that was true and why it was true, he ultimately said, I can't buy that. I think there's a lot of ways to God. And eventually he got up and walked out. Right? The God of this world has blinded mind and heart to the truth of the gospel. Now this parable looks at this from the perspective of the judgment, from the perspective of the end of a person's life. This person has rejected the seed of the gospel throughout their life. There may be some people in your life who reject the gospel one day and eight years later, they are a totally different kind of soil. And so if you have people in your life right now who appear to be hard soil, pray. You don't have any ability to change soil. You don't have any ability to soften a hard heart, and so be praying for them. You don't know the ultimate outcomes. Are they hard soil long term? Will they become a different kind of soil one day? Pray. Be praying for the God who can change people's hearts. The second kind of soil is the rocky soil. Jesus says this about that. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulations or persecutions arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
Who are the people here in the rocky soil? They're people who made shallow, false commitments to Jesus Christ. Right? The people in the rocky soil are people who made shallow, false commitments to Jesus. They received the word joyfully, exuberantly. There might have even been a tremendous amount of emotion in their profession of faith. It may have seemed so incredibly genuine at the time, but it is proven to be shallow and false by the fact that they don't persevere. This can be the result, it isn't every time, but it can be the result of a teaching of a false gospel. When I was growing up, there were a lot of six, seven, and eight-year-olds around me who were taught there's a really bad place you can go forever. And there's a really good place that you can go forever. And if you don't want to go to the bad place and you want to go to the good place, all you got to do is repeat this prayer after me. Who wouldn't repeat a prayer on the chance that it gets you out of the forever bad place and into the forever good place? Are you kidding me? Anyone would repeat that prayer. And then as life goes on, and children become teenagers, become young adults. They recognize, eh, this living for Christ thing, that's not very popular in our world. And they abandon it. Or they recognize, wait a minute, Jesus' teaching is that I'm to give my whole life over to him? Everything is meant to be submitted to him on my day-to-day -day living? I signed up to pray a prayer in order to go from the bad place to the good place. And you're telling me Jesus wants everything? And because the gospel that was proclaimed to them was a false gospel, they've made a shallow false commitment to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells people, if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, count the cost. By all means, count the blessings. They outweigh the cost. But count the the cost. He says, who would enter the kingdom and not count the cost first? And so make sure that you are counting the cost. And Jesus brings those who might follow him back to that cost over and over again. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me, not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus reminds us of the cost of following him again and again because he doesn't want people making shallow, false commitments to him. And so he says, count the cost, my friends. Count the cost. It, 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 it means giving up your life for my sake. The people in the rocky soil are people who've made shallow, false commitments to Jesus. And ultimately, they don't persevere because of that. The third soil are the thorns. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful. Jesus says, every good tree bears what? Right, good fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit. But in this situation, people who were excited to make a commitment to Jesus ultimately see that commitment to Jesus to be false because their genuine love is for the idols of this world. 
and the thorns of the idols of this world choke out their commitment to Jesus. They have other priorities that dominate their life. They're what Bunyan calls in Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Facing Both Ways. What James chapter 1 refers to as a double-minded man, right? The word for minded there is suke, a two-souled man. A person who wants a foot over here in Christianity because there's a lot of blessings that are a part of this. I want those blessings. But my real life priority is over here in the things that the world has to offer. In the successes that the world has to offer. In people liking me. In the comforts of the world. Academic success, work success, gaining material goods, being well-liked, living a comfortable life. God says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These people have abandoned Jesus in order to follow after the things of the world. That's their real priority. And the thorns of those things choke the life. Choke the life. The fourth soil is the good news. You guys need some good news? Yeah, this is heavy. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. These people truly accept the word of God, the gospel message. They are his disciples, and you can tell they are his disciples because they bear fruit. Everyone who is a disciple of Jesus will bear fruit. Now, listen to me. They don't become disciples by bearing fruit. It isn't that you bear a lot of fruit and so then you get to get planted in the good soil. No, it's because you're planted in the good soil that you bear a bunch of fruit. We don't get into the kingdom by doing enough good, righteous, and loving things. We do good, righteous, and loving things because we're a part of the kingdom. And Jesus says everyone who's a part of the kingdom, their lives are going to be filled with this fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. Why does Jesus teach this parable? Why does Jesus teach this parable? There are a number of reasons that Jesus may teach this parable, but I think a main one is this. So that we as his followers will continue to sow the seed of the message of Jesus and not be discouraged. That we'll continue to sow the seed of the message and not be discouraged. We're the seed sowers. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, the word for preaching here doesn't mean to stand up on a stage and do what I'm doing right now. It simply means to herald the news without someone bringing the news to them. We are the seed sowers. There might have been a temptation in that day, and maybe even in ours, to say, the gospel message is truth. It makes sense. And the Holy Spirit is powerful in bringing that message. Therefore, every person who hears the message should become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't that happen? If the message is true and good and the Holy Spirit is powerful and strong, why wouldn't everyone who hears the message become a follower of Jesus? And if those were your expectations going in, how discouraging would it be when you experienced what Paul did and most of the people in a town rejected you and even tried to kill you? 
How discouraging would it be when you watched as they crucified the Lord? Am I supposed to present the message better than that? Am I a better seed sower? And he got rejected. And how discouraging would that be as his follower? And so Jesus tells this parable in order to set right expectations for people. When you sow the seed, not everyone is going to respond and become a disciple of Jesus and produce fruit. And he wants his followers to understand that so they won't be discouraged by that when they see it. You're going to sow the seed and some people are going to reject the message. Others are going to accept the message as kids and as young adults, they're going to leave and abandon Jesus. Still others are going to sit in the church week in and week out, but their real priorities are the things of the world. Jesus wants all of his followers to understand that so that they recognize the problem's not with the seed. The problem isn't necessarily with the sower. The problem is with the soil. The problem is with the soil. This is so important because when the gospel message doesn't reap the kind of harvest that we think it should, everyone should become a follower. When it doesn't reap the kind of harvest that we think it should, there is a tremendous temptation to do what? To change the message in order to make it appealing to the masses who just want the blessings of the kingdom. We're not getting the response that we want. So let's stop talking about things like sin, judgment, punishment, substitution, and that Christ's great call is that we would become like Him. Let's stop talking about the cost and just focus in on the blessings of the kingdom. And and there are all kinds of churches who at the end of a service may invite a person in order to repeat a prayer after them that is entirely about the blessings. Repeat this prayer so that you will be more blessed, more fulfilled, have greater power in your life. And what is ignored is the core of the gospel message about my sin, proper judgment, proper penalty, Jesus' amazing substitution, and the call to become like Jesus every day of my life. Jesus says, don't look at the results, the fact that some aren't accepting it, the fact that some do and then fall away and say, the problem's with the message. No, 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 no. It's a soil issue, not a message issue. If you want to do something about this, don't change the message. Pray for the soil. You want to do something about this? Don't change the message. Pray for the soil. God calls us to be a people of prayer. With this parable, Jesus also wants us to help us understand that the church, like the visible church, is going to regularly be filled with people who are his disciples and those who aren't. Uh, soil 2, 3, and 4 are all people who have made professions of faith in Jesus, aren't they? Right? Two, three, and four, all people who've made professions of faith in Jesus, but only one of those soils are actually disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we should expect the church is regularly going to be filled with people who are disciples and people who aren't. People who've made shallow false commitments. People who say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I want some of those benefits, but I'm actually in my time, talent, and treasure showing that my real priority is the thing of the world. 
He wants us to understand this. And ultimately, he promises he will clear all of this up at the judgment. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. They don't just call him Savior, Savior. They call him Lord, Lord. He says, among all of those who are a part of the visible church, there's going to be a whole lot of people who come to me, and I say, I never knew you. And I can tell that you're not my disciple because you don't bear the fruit of obedience to my Father. He's not your passion. I'm not your passion. Jesus says you can tell those who are actually a part of the kingdom because they're bearing fruit. 30, 60, or 100-fold the fruit of the kingdom. As we read about 30, 60, or 100-fold, it's a reminder to us, not everyone is growing at the same rate. 30, 60, or 100-fold reminds us not everybody is in the same place in their maturity, in their walk with Jesus. But everyone who is a part of the kingdom is going to be growing in kingdom fruit. Yes, at different rates. Yes, in different places. But they're going to be growing in kingdom fruit. It's the marker that we're a part of that good soil. My friends, don't let the fact that three of the four soils turn out badly Keep us from spreading the seed because the glory that is involved in the transformation in that fourth soil is worth it all. And so we continue to spread the seed. Do you know who's in the fourth soil? Absolutely not. So we continue to spread the seed. We continue to pray that God would bring about good soil in the people around us. Praying that ultimately they'll bear fruit and bring glory to God as they do. Jesus wants us to understand the, the problem's not with the Spirit. When you see people not respond, the problem's not with the message. The problem is with the soil. Pray for different soil. This week we have an opportunity to sow seeds. That's true every week, but let's focus on this week. Right, this week we have an opportunity to sow seeds. What does that look like in your life? Right, you have an opportunity to sow seeds with family members. Sow seeds with friends, sow seeds with coworkers. God calls us to do so with gentleness and courage and wisdom. And we want to do that over the course of this week. We want to be those seed sowers. We'll leave the results to Him, but we want to be His seed sowers. There's a way that we can all participate as a church in sowing seed among areas of the world where the gospel hasn't necessarily reached or isn't represented well. Uh, there's a ministry called Operation Christmas Child. Our children's ministry has participated in over the years. And we want all of us to participate in Operation Christmas Child this year because as we fill those boxes with gifts for kids, it is always given with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. As those boxes go out, the gospel message goes with them everywhere they go. I was actually talking to uh, Scarlett from Honduras in between services. And Scarlett said, yeah, in Honduras, we would receive those boxes. And they would get to us. They're like, sometimes people wonder, does it actually get to the people? She's like, yes, it gets to us. And the gospel message is presented with those boxes as they arrive. 
And so we want to participate in this together. You'll see that there's a pallet out here in the commons that has information about how you can participate. Next week, there's going to be a video about participating in this, how to fill a shoebox, where to take it. All of that kind of information is out there. And it's an opportunity for us to sow seeds in a place that we'll never go, among a people we'll never meet. And we want to take advantage of that together. So I'd invite you to pray about that and think about that. You can pick stuff up on your way out or you can hear more information about it next week and pick stuff up then and join us in this. I, I want to pray for us. Before we enter into a time of communion, I want to pray for us and our seed sowing. W would you guys pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you include us in your mission of sowing seeds among people. There is such a blessing and such joy in getting to be a part of the great mission, the, the only mission that truly matters in all of human history. And we're thankful that you have included us in that. And Lord, we pray that as we go about our business this week, spending time with friends, with family, with coworkers, getting our hair cut, talking to a server at the restaurant, whatever it is, Lord, that we'd shine your light and that with grace and courage and wisdom, we would share the message of Jesus Christ with those around us. Lord, we want to be your witnesses. We pray that your spirit would go before us, producing good soil in those that we'll be talking to. In Jesus' name, amen. The hope that we share is what we celebrate as we come to the table every Sunday morning. It's the hope that has been purchased by Jesus' work as he gave his body and shed his blood for our forgiveness. And as we go to the table, I just want to encourage you to continue to be mindful of what Jesus has done that we share with those around us. Think about the forgiveness of sins that he has brought to your own life and the need for that forgiveness in all of those around you. When you're ready, I'll encourage you to make your way over to the tables and bring the bread and the cup back to your seats, and I'll lead us in all taking that together later. Right now, would you stand with me? Let's continue to praise Jesus in song.